Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. American Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Our mission is, is to fund high quality public interest journalism that promotes accountability and fiscal responsibility in government. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. Joining me again today is Casey Harper, the Center Square's Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief. How are you, Casey? Doing good, Dan. How are you? Doing well. Been on the road this week, but back in the home office. Happy to talk to you again. We're recording this podcast on Friday, September 23rd. Casey, inflationary price pressures continue to impact Americans everywhere. A new poll released this week shows that Americans are falling behind the cost of living. Tell us about this. Yeah, that's right. Last week uh, on the podcast, we talked a lot about the consumer price index and the producer price index and how things like grocery prices were, you know, at the highest level in decades. Um, you know, grocery prices are something like over 13% increase in the last year. We've seen a, a short, uh, a temporary leveling off of inflation um, in some in some areas, but that's really only because gas prices have have dropped. And we can talk more about that. Um, but you know, this is an interesting poll because uh, the Biden administration has really tried to spike the football in the last uh, few weeks about inflation, saying, hey, we've got this under control. It's doing great. But this new NBC News poll found that uh, 63% of those surveyed say their income is falling behind the cost of living. Another 58% disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy. And so, you know, there's often kind of a disconnect between what's happening in Washington, what people are saying in Washington, uh, and what regular Americans are feeling. And so for all the speeches or different things and and um, squabbling on Capitol Hill, you still have 63% of Americans say that they're falling behind. And the, the, data, the data bears that out. I mean, the inflation numbers that we've seen, even with the kind of uh, the slowdown of inflation the last couple of months, um, inflation has still increased more than 8%. Uh, for like in consumer prices, for example, and American wages have not nearly increased uh, increased that much. I mean, I think few, very few of our listeners, unless you change jobs or something, would say they got you know a ten percent raise uh, this year. This is not not really what most people are, are used to. And so, when prices go up eight or more percent, and when you go to the grocery store, um, and it's over thirteen percent increase in, in so many of your goods, and that means actually that you know a thirteen percent increase at the grocery store means that half of the groceries are less than that, but half are more. So some some things at the grocery store are actually much more um, than 13% increase. So right. the prices are going up and Americans are, are feeling the pain. You referenced gas prices. Of course, in June, the U.S. average um, uh, for a gallon of gasoline or regular uh, gasoline shot above $5 a gallon for the first time. And it sits settled down back into the threes. Um, uh, uh, across the country, so you would think with gas prices, you know, coming back down pretty dramatically, that inflation would be also coming down. But that's not the case. Um, it it has leveled off largely because gas prices have come down from their all time record high of above five dollars a gallon. But food prices are still going up. Uh, the the price of other things are still going up. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And actually, it's going to be really interesting to watch because. Um, gas prices actually went up a little bit this week for the first time in weeks. We saw an increase in, in in some gas prices. So if that's a sign of, you know, a reversal where gas prices start to take back upward, or it's just a sign that gas prices are leveling out, 
I think we are going to see these um, inflation numbers increase because we're seeing prices go up on all kinds of things. That's still happening. And also, like we talked about last week, you know, um, economists are saying that less and less of that inflation can be attributed to um, the pandemic, right? Or, or kind of uh, outlier supply chain issues. You could write things off like automobile um, computer chips. Like it's not really being caused by that anymore. It's more and more um, being caused by other factors. And one of the big factors that, you know, we've talked about a lot is um, federal spending. Of course, the war in Ukraine um, has an impact, but uh, these numbers are, are going up. And th- if, if the gasoline prices are leveling off now, which the you know the price increase this week suggests, then I think we will see those inflation numbers go back up. And you know, there's a lot of ways we can take this. You know, having big impacts on regular Americans who are trying to fill up their their car, but also there's political implications because having inflation start to turn around and go back up um, in in September <laughs> before a midterm election is about as bad a timing as you can get. And and we talked a few weeks ago about inflation, these these price hikes on everything impacting all Americans, including uh, members of the military, whereas the military, um, to address inflation, was encouraging its members to um, get on food stamps, get SNAP mm-hmm. benefits to help pay for the rising cost of food. Now you're working on a story for this weekend that the military is doing uh, more or doing something else to try and help um, uh, its members. Tell us, tell us briefly about that teaser story from this weekend at the centersquare.com. Sure. The, to, to preview it a little bit, um, the, the Secretary of Defense has announced that um, they're going to be cutting grocery costs on things like military bases. They're also going to be cutting costs for moving and doing um, different things like that. But, you know, as you said, we just reported that the army is like, Hey, get on food stamps. And now it's, they're saying, Oh wait, look, we're going to actually reduce grocery prices, which is um, really a admission from the top that these prices are not sustainable and that the, you know, average people really are having a lot of trouble just making their grocery bill every month. (laughs) To, um, to try and quell uh, inflationary price increases. The Fed continues to hike interest rates. Another interest rate hike this week. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is um, this can feel a little bit um, wonky to people, and maybe they don't always understand how it fully works. And I, I think almost no one does because it is kind of technical. But the top level view is um, when inflation gets really bad, the Federal Reserve increases interest rates and. Increased interest rates mean the economy suffers, but inflation gets under control. That's like the whole theory in one sec, in one sentence. And so the Fed has, because inflation has been so high, they've announced interest rate hike after interest rate hike. They've been actually really aggressive. You know, economists I talked to said that the Fed waited too long to do anything. And now that they're doing something, they're doing, you know, a lot, you know, more than uh, being a lot more aggressive than maybe even people expected. So they announced another three quarter um, of a percentage point increase. And the Fed said that it's very likely there's going to be more increases coming. Um, I can find the quote. It said they anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate. That is bureaucratic Fed speak for we're probably going to hike interest rates more. Um, and, And any economist you talk to says this will have a negative impact on the economy. And it's kind of viewed as like a necessary evil. It's the, uh, it is the the medical treatment for inflation that has really bad side effects, but it you know inflation will kill the economy, so you have to do it. Um, so this is another rate hike. Another one is coming. Uh, you know this is part of the reason we've seen uh, mortgage prices or a uh, mortgage demand for mortgages 
go down so much. You know, mortgage interest rates have have really soared in the last few months, and the number of Americans who are trying to get a mortgage and buy a house has really plummeted. Um, so this has you know real immediate impacts, but it also has the impact of it's it's you know the conventional wisdom is that it is going to be harmful to the economy and economic growth. So, so yeah, so the cost essentially when you uh, raise interest rates as radically has uh, the Fed has this year, and the cost of borrowing money um, gets more expensive. And that's not just for mortgages. That could be for car loans, for example, if you're out shopping for a car um, and you're not able to pay cash um, for a car, you have to borrow money um, and, and get a car loan. The, 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 that cost is going up as well with the interest rates going up. Mm-hmm. Well, don't you guys in Chicago just kind of go just find one on the street and take it? That's what I've been reading in the news. <laughs> Carjackings are definitely up in oh, Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And the, the interesting thing about that is it's teenagers uh, that are largely driving. Really? That. But that's another topic for another oh, yeah, time. Of course. Um, Casey. Let's focus on uh, mm-hmm. the economy and the inflation right. and uh, these these rate hikes. So, so we should anticipate additional rate hikes uh, from the f- interest rate hikes from the Fed, is what you're saying? Yeah, and it's interesting because the Fed is often pretty veiled or cryptic in signaling what they're going to do. Of course, whatever the Fed says can have huge economic implications. I mean, the Fed has so much power, so they are very careful in what they say, um, and they try to telegraph things in advance, but. This is they're being pretty clear, you know, more clear than I've often seen them saying uh, it's ongoing increases are like basically likely going to be appropriate. So that is as much as I've ever seen the Fed say, we're definitely going to do this. Um, That's they don't they don't speak in absolutes usually. Uh, So I think it is going to come. And, you know, I think it also shows that the, the, the economic experts at the Federal Reserve aren't really buying this kind of political argument that inflation is handled. You know, there's kind of this political meme right now that, oh, inflation's fine, like it's been dealt with, but then why is the Federal Reserve still raising interest rates? I think if you look into the data, like we've been talking about, uh, you know, food prices, for example, have continued to soar. I mean, just getting much higher. If anyone who is monitoring their grocery budget, uh, they're seeing this happen. And so regardless of what the top level, you know, inflation numbers say that's been kind of messed up or you know, uh, warped by the gas price stuff. Uh, the Federal Reserve seems to think inflation is still a big problem, and it's going to be a big problem for months to come. Let's move on, Casey. Another story you covered um, uh, this week related to Hunter Biden, the son of President uh, Joe Biden. His financial dealings overseas have been under scrutiny for years since before uh, the 2020 election. Um, but um, uh, a lot of information has been uh, withheld by the federal government on this. Republicans have been trying to force out some of this Im- information, but the Democrats blocked it this week. What's going on here? Yeah, this is interesting. The Hunter Biden investigation is kind of the investigation that never seems to happen or nothing ever seems to come public, even though there's a, a lot of curiosity, a lot of interest. Of course, the uh, you know social media companies very famously or infamously uh censored stories about Hunter Biden and his laptop right before the election. And a lot of that information turned out to be true. Um, and that, you know, that was really controversial. So that's added to the the swirl of, of hype and interest in this. But 
getting information about what's actually going on in this investigation has been extremely difficult, even for Republican lawmakers. And so um, James Comrie is a Republican from Kentucky, who's the ranking member on the House Oversight Committee. You know, they do a lot of investigations, of course, on the, on the Oversight Committee. And they have, and I've been covering this, you know, over this year, they've been reached out several times trying to get um, documents related to the Hunter Biden investigation. And, and one in particular are something called suspicious activity reports. Now, this is the Treasury Department and they and how they keep up with um, different financial dealings and bank accounts. And uh, the, uh, the Republicans on the Oversight Committee have asked for these um, suspicious activity reports, basically a red flag on someone's account. Um, and there's reportedly, media reports have said there's 150 of these reports related to Hunter Biden. So wow. that's a lot. <laughs> for, yeah. That's a lot of suspicious activity reports. But Republicans have been asking the Treasury Department for it again and again. And the Treasury Department has just kind of been bureaucratically stonewalling them. And so this week, they introduced a resolution um, that would basically be the equivalent of a con congressional vote forcing out these documents. And Democrats on the committee blocked it. Right. And so the resolution will not pass. These documents are going to remain hidden, at least for now. Um, I think this will be one. It's really interesting that that congressional Democrats are willing to kind of cover for this Hunter Biden investigation, because that's the kind of thing you don't want to have to defend. I think on the campaign trail, we, we, I, you know, I blocked Hunter Biden documents. It's like, why, why did you do that? Um, and the other thing is when Republicans take the majority, if they do, oh, as right. it's expected, then is that investigation going to kick into overdrive? Yeah, well, that's what, that was my ne next question. We have an election, of course, in November. <clears throat> Democrats have a slight majority um, in the House. The Senate is 50-50 is with Vice Pre Democratic Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, you know, the, the, the tie-breaking vote there. If Republicans do, in fact, let's say just retake the House, can we expect to see um, a, a release of some of these documents? You can definitely expect to see the investigation ramped up big time. I think it's going to be hard to force out a lot of things. You know, Congress, you know, the House will have some power um, to really put the pressure on, especially agencies like the Treasury Department, which are not supposed to be politicized. And uh, they have a harder time evading congressional oversight um, the way the way some other things can. But, you know, these investigations are so... I don't know. They can often be disappointing because it's like the, you know, the famous bridge to nowhere. A lot of these investigations are kind of the investigation to nowhere. I mean, they're, they're a lot more for the, for media hype. And so often they don't actually yield real results. I mean, think about things like um, Benghazi or different, um, the Mueller investigation with just years and years of media coverage, hearings, pomp and circumstance. And ultimately it's like, you know, nobody's really hardly ever, gets held accountable, especially at the highest levels. I mean, sometimes people do, and there have been people, you know, go to jail for different things or, or um, come under a lot of fire, but it often takes years and, and sometimes nothing even comes at all. So these investigations can be kind of 50, 50 and whether they really yield anything. Um, but you don't really know until you do them. Moving on, <clears throat> Casey, parents groups across the United States are rallying against a bill in California that's on Governor Gavin Newsom's uh, desk that would um, allow a court um, essentially uh, to revoke parental rights over a child, a child's decision um, to have transgender surgery. Uh, what's going on here? This, uh, this is a little crazy story. Yeah, this is honestly, it's kind of a confusing story. It took me a while to kind of work this out, but 
Um, the, the backdrop is that several states have done things to kind of ban um, transgender, either like surgeries, gender reassignment surgeries, puberty blockers for minors. I believe in Texas, they're calling it child abuse. You know, there's, they're really limiting what can be done to those under 18. Um, and so California has <laughs> kind of a typical fashion, I guess, uh, you know, it's Texas versus California, but California has um, tried to make themselves the equivalent of a sanctuary state for transgender kids. And so they have passed this new law that says if a kid comes from a different state to California to get a transgender surgery, to get puberty blockers, to get these different things, then a judge can temporarily revoke the parent's rights over that kid. Wow. Yeah. And that the judge can prevent extradition and that, um, that it, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot, I won't go, I'll stop right there. because There's a lot, a lot we can talk about right there, but the law prevents extradition and it, um, it claims this is going to be a really interesting constitutional issue, but by saying that it, you know, suspends parents' rights temporarily over the kid, uh, and that other, the laws of other States don't have, you know, any jurisdiction. Um, I think it's going to be a real constitutional crisis. Can California really, do that if you're a parent from texas you live in texas your kid is a texan does california law in this instance really have precedent over you know texas also i think there's going to be some questions there but of course parents groups uh parents rights groups are very upset about this nationwide um they sent a letter to gavin newsom calling on him to veto the bill i believe he has till the end of the month to make a decision on that um i don't i don't think it's likely because this bill the Senate bill passed along party lines, basically uh, Democrats in favor, Republicans against. And so now um, Newsom has to decide if he's going to sign or veto it. Um, and I mean, we can go into some of the parental uh, objections, but uh, this, this letter that, that parental groups from around, around the nation sent to raising constitutional concerns, parental right concerns. Of course, this is uh, getting into all the transgender argument about, how you know puberty blockers, for instance, can have um, a lot of long-term effects on on kids, um, even if they come off of them. There's things about infertility. Of course, these transgender surgeries can be quite quite permanent for someone who's underage to make someone who's not allowed to buy alcohol or join the military or or has to get parental permission to get married, um, but they can go to California and get these surgeries. So, so, so yeah, so essentially, let's just provide a specific example a 12 year old or a 13 year old from oklahoma can decide that they're transgender have an advocate um take them to california against their parents wishes Mm -hmm. and then a a california judge if newsom signs this bill could essentially um take strip the parents rights away and allow this uh, um this 12 year old or this 13 year old to undergo whether it's transgender surgery or uh, uh, puberty blockers, things like that. That's essentially what this bill of Governor Gavin Newsom signs would allow. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's how it's designed. That's how it's intended. That's uh, that's part of the reason for all for all the outrage. Um, and I do think that this is going to be this is one of those pieces of legislation that is, you know, day one lawsuit kind of thing. You know, there's there's some types of legislation that as soon as it gets passed, it's going to be challenged in court. I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of them and I don't know how that'll, how that'll all shake out. But, um, you know, I'll read one of the objections, uh, from this letter 
This bill, the parents say this bill blatantly violates the fundamental right of every parent in every state to direct the upbringing and care of their child. The legislation allows the taking of a child to California without parental knowledge or consent to obtain gender transition procedures. Um, it goes you know, and impermissibly gives California courts the power to strip custody from lawful and well-intentioned parents, regardless of where they live, who may have legitimate concerns for their child's mental and physical health. And so that's the big constitutional thing there is how can a California law, I think it was Oklahoma in your example, how can a California law strip the rights of parents in Oklahoma? Right. That's going to be one of the big constitutional questions. But where are we as a society where we're even having a debate about this? Stripping a parent's rights away so a minor can make life changing, a life changing decision uh, mm-hmm. that they can't they, they can't take back. Yeah, this is a kind of there's like multiple levels of debate about this. One is just overall the validity and helpfulness of transgender, you know, they're called treatments. Uh, I think there's a lot there's a lot of reason for good reason for that debate. I mean, you know, for example, on surgeries, a lot of the data shows that they aren't nearly as helpful long term as they are short term, things like that. But even even setting aside uh, how people feel about transgender surgeries and things, then there's just a debate of can a kid, <laughs> you know, be be allowed to do things without their parents' consent? And I think um, there's so many issues in our society that you know are maybe controversial or not, or maybe even not viewed as good things, but we allow them. But then say you have to be 18, like something like gambling or smoking or drinking. You know, it's like, hey, people, I think people would largely acknowledge those aren't like social goods, but hey, when you're 18, you can do them. But the idea of someone underage being able to make such a big decision, and we saw something similar with abortions, you know, p- people having to get a permission for abortions or not. But but even then, that's not the same as this, because a transgender surgery is a permanent, it's extremely permanent, you know, thing to be making a decision at someone like 12, like you pointed out. Um so I don't know. I mean, even can't you not even get a tattoo I mean, before you're 18? <laughs> yeah, there are. <laughs> I mean, there are state. I mean, it varies from state to state depending on their state laws. But yeah, you can't drink, purchase alcohol until you're 21. Um, you can't purchase cigarettes until you're 18. And that varies from state to state as well. But you can have. So I, just, so I just yeah, I just looked it up in, in the age of. uh it's a misdemeanor for any person to tattoo or offer a tattoo to anyone under the age of 18 in California. That's, you know, that's an interesting, that's very interesting. <laughs> we should include that in our ongoing reporting on this, uh, on mm-hmm. the topic. Okay. So we, we're, we're almost out of time. We have time, just brief uh, uh, amount of time for one last story. President Biden in his now infamous 60 minutes uh, interview that aired uh, this past Sunday, said the pandemic is over, yet there are still vaccine and mask mandates uh, that the federal government isn't reporting. But a judge struck one of those down this week. What's going on here? Yeah, it's this is really interesting. This is hard. It's hard to tell if this is uh, part of a coordinated strategy or this is one of those times where Joe Biden, you know, redefines our policy on Taiwan on the fly in a press conference, you know, I mean, he did that. He said something about Taiwan, the white house later had to walk back. He's had that multiple times where Biden has just kind of spoken out on really controversial issues. And then the white house comes and corrects him. And of course that, you know, feeds into all the criticism about who's really running the country. Is it Biden's aides or is it him when he says something and then the aides say, no, 
that's not right. And people are like, yeah, it's probably the aides who are right. <laughs> it's probably the White House staff who knows the what they're talking about. So that, is this one of those where Biden just kind of slipped and tried to say the pandemic is over? Um, I mean, a lot of, you know, pandemic is much better. I think uh, the question, though, is the pandemic has been used to justify so many government policies that when you declare it's over, you pull out the rug out from under so many mandates, so many rules, you take the kind of moral authority away from so many, especially Democrat and liberal governors who have done things. For example, in in DC, there's a huge debate um, over a vaccine mandate for students, right? And so this has been really controversial. DC put in a, a vaccine mandate for students to come back to school. Um, and now they delayed enforcement because, of course, you know, you can't even get students to do their homework hardly, let alone like go get this vaccine. So they didn't do, get the vaccine. But, you know, D.C. is trying to enforce it. But when you say something like the pandemic is over and the president says the pandemic is over, how is the mayor of D.C. going to really have the moral authority to enforce something like a vaccine mandate on 16 year olds? Right. So that's a kind of a, a real world example of how these comments will have an effect on policies all the way down to the local level. Right. Well, I, I, I was traveling uh, this week, and and I think most Americans think the pandemic um, is over. At least they act like it. Um, very few masks I saw in my travels and in my stay uh, in Atlanta is where I was at. And um, uh, so, so I think it may, maybe it is time to move on. But anyway, that's a conversation for another day, Casey. We uh, we have run out of time. Thank you, as always, for your insight on these very important stories. Reminder to our listeners, you can find all of the Center Squares podcasts at americastalking.com. Take a look. Please subscribe. There is no cost. This has been the America in Focus podcast. For Casey Harper, I'm Dan McCaleb. We'll talk to you next week.